good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. As you could tell on that video just a few minutes ago, that wasn't that funny. And uh, yeah, it was funny, huh? Yeah, we love you too, all right? If you take your Bible and turn to uh, Luke chapter 14, we're going to get there in just a minute. Uh, I do want to uh, welcome you, and uh, in your bulletin uh, that you received when you came in, there's some notes on the back side of that bulletin if you want to uh, follow along with us uh, in this sermon. And then also there's an invite card that's inside that bulletin that I would encourage you to take that invite card and to invite someone that you've relationally invested with that may not be going to church anywhere. Uh, they may be way far away from God, I don't know, but a friend, a family, a coworker, a neighbor, uh, and invite them uh, on the 26th and 27th to take a seat weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're giving away a lot of cool things that weekend. But the big reason is we are just uh, basically going to uh, be presenting the gospel in a way that I think is very easy to understand. It's all going to be in this whole deal with the chairs. And it's going to be a great weekend. So I just would encourage you to, uh, uh, to uh, invite someone and to take an opportunity with that. And sometimes growing up in church, I grew up not in a pastor's home. My dad, my dad worked for a train building air conditioners. And uh, I, uh, I grew up wondering sometimes, would the pastor always says invite people and bring people? Does he really do that? And so it's kind of one of my pet peeves when leaders don't lead by example. So I've already got my guest. Uh, they're coming to the 9 o'clock service uh, that weekend. It's been someone that I have relationally invested in and that uh, I have a relationship with. And, uh, and so they're going to be here that weekend. They're supposed to be here. Like, all I can do is invite. So I got my, my person. I, I hope you have your person. If not, I may be asking you in the middle of service. No, I'm just teasing. But, but seriously, to, to invite someone and, and, and just to... Uh, Give them an opportunity to hear the message. Uh, we started last weekend with a brand new series called The Chair. And um, I want there's some, to, there's some notes that have already filled in at the back side of your bulletin that I want to kind of go through to kind of catch some of you up that were not here last weekend. But because uh, it kind of segues into what we're talking about this weekend. Um, but in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, we covered that last week. I'm not going to reread that. We're going we're gonna to pick up in verse 15 in just a minute, read through verse 24. But I just want to kind of give you some, it kind of helps set up even this weekend's message. Um, but Jesus is here, and he has uh, been invited to the table uh, to a dinner party, basically, uh, at the home of some Pharisees or some religious leaders of the day. And the Bible says that the, that the person's home that he's invited to is a prominent religious leader, a prominent Pharisee. Now, I know that the Bible was originally written in three languages, Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. And what you have in, in front of you is a translation from those original languages into the English version. But... Um, but, but understand, every time in Scripture that there are adjectives given or there are descriptive words given or names that are given, they're always important. And if there's an absence of those things, it's important as well. And so, uh, so the Bible says that this was a prominent Pharisee, a prominent religious leader. You have to also understand that in the context of the first century, these religious leaders of the day, these Pharisees, these guys were at the top of the food chain. They were at the top of the, the peak earning years, if you would. These guys were very affluent and influential, influential people. So, so this wasn't just like a, a, a minister's meeting he was invited to. This was actually a, a big, big, big shindig that was going on. And he goes to these homes. And what's interesting there, these leaders are the exact same ones that are going to call for his crucifixion. These are the ones that are going to try to make fun of him in front of Christ followers. These are the ones that Jesus will later come back to and call them vipers and snakes and um, 
basically whitewashed caskets full of dead men's bones. I mean, he, he's going to throw a full can out on these guys. And so, but th- these guys are still trying to figure out who is this guy? What's his deal? What's the 411? What's the background on this man named Jesus? Because here's the deal. They both serve the same God. They both operate off the same scripture. And they have, they have both, these religious leaders as well as Jesus, gone through rabbinical training and are teachers and leaders in the church in their own right. But Jesus seems to take things from a fresh perspective. And what they can't realize that they're trying to figure out is that these guys hold everything to the letter of the law. But it's kind of like you miss a forest for all the trees. But they forget the intent of the law. That they look at God as some cosmic killjoy that's just trying to be this righteous judge. And so they hold to this, to this, this righteous judgmental side of God. And they totally forget that the reason why the law was created was to, was to do away with sin so that God the Father, His Father heart could be shown. God in and of Himself is a Father, not, not first and foremost before He's ever a righteous judge. And that doesn't take away from his righteousness. It just simply understands. It's like a dad who disciplines his child. He doesn't discipline him because he wants to be mean and because he wants to be vicious. He's disciplining because he loves the child. The same way that God loves us, he disciplines us. But these guys only get the discipline of God, not the joy of God. They only get the harshness of God and and not the humor of God. They, they They only get the rugged realities of God and not his kind father side. And so Jesus, again, being the Son of God, knows that all too well. And the difference is grace, but they can't figure that out. So they've invited him to this dinner party. One other thing that's helpful to understand is that in Western culture, in our culture, uh, to be able to show how wise or how smart uh, or uh, that you are, intelligent that you are, it's who has the most amount of information. Who can spit out more facts and figures and information and data? That's the smartest person in the room. But in Eastern culture, in Eastern civilization, uh, in this, this first century, it was the person that could ask the question that would silence everybody in the room that was the smartest person. That's why when Jesus deals with the religious leaders of the day throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he doesn't say a whole lot to them. He just asks a whole lot of questions. It's not that he's dumb. It's that he, that he is basically shutting them down. So we began with this dinner party that Jesus is sitting down. Nobody for the first 14 verses speak. Not the greatest host in the world. And so they are just dumbfounded. And Jesus heals a guy right in their presence. He asks questions that they can't answer. And, and basically, he makes these three statements that are already on the back of your notes. But this is from last week. That First of all, that chairs are important. And, and chairs are important. And before you think I've lost my mind, where he's sitting is very important as to what he's going to talk about and why he's going to talk about this. Again, nothing's accidental in Scripture. But if you do a, a study on seats or chairs throughout Scripture, you'll find in the Old Testament that chairs were a place of prominence and status uh, and prosperity in someone's life. They were a signal and a sign of that. You'll also find that there are certain seats or chairs that you need to uh, watch out for. Psalm chapter 1 says that we don't want to sit in the seat of the mocker. As you motor through the New Testament, you realize that God is enthroned in a chair on high. You realize that that, uh, that, that some of the greatest miracles and events in the New Testament took place where people were seated. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, first let them be seated and divide them into groups, and then the miracle took place. You'll find that when Jesus was laying down the gauntlet with the disciples and really talking about what it was going to mean to follow Christ, that he had them sit down first. You'll find that the disciples argued over where they would sit 
to the right or to the left of Jesus when he would establish his kingdom. You'll find that at the, at, at the Last Supper that they're all seated at a table around. And, and Jesus gives some of the greatest words of wisdom that he will give to his disciples. You also find the Bible says that when Pontius Pilate declares the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Bible says he was seated in the seat of judgment. The Bible goes on to say that every one of us in humanity will stand before God and give an account as he sits at the Bema seat of Christ. It's a seat. It's a chair. It's important. And John the Revelator, who wrote the, who wrote the book of Revelation, said this, I see one likened unto the Son of Man who is seated in the clouds with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. He will harvest the earth, and then the end shall come. So seats are very, 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 chairs are very, very important. Chairs also tell a story. And we see here that chairs are telling this story uh, right here in this passage. That where Jesus is seated and, and what he's doing. And he's going to look at those chairs and where those men are seated. And he's going to begin to read their mail. And it, because the last thing is that chairs reveal character. Jesus first says that chairs reveal the character of humility or the lack thereof. When he begins to sit down in, in these first 14 verses. And he said, you know, if you're invited to a marriage supper, you're invited to a marriage feast, you don't go take the most prominent seat lest someone comes in that's more higher up the ranking than you and then the host comes and asks you to move your seat and you're humiliated. No, take the lowest seat that you can and so then the host can come and invite you to sit at the higher seat. Thus you would be honored. So Jesus says to them, look, where you sit says a lot about who you are and how you think about yourself. That, that's, a great, that's, that's a great business uh, piece right there too and how you're interacting with people and whether you watch them and they watch you that where you sit in a room and how you view yourself has a lot to do with that he goes on and he turns his attention to the host to this prominent Pharisee and he says hey and when you have a dinner party don't just invite your golfing buddies and the people that hook you up and that help you out don't just invite your rich neighbors that's what it says in the NIV again adjectives are important because what these guys were doing, they were just hooking each other up, just scratching each other's back. And he said, because the people that sit around the table of your life tell whether or not you're a generous person or you're a stingy person. It speaks to your generosity. Because Jesus says what you should do is don't just invite your friends and the people that can help you. But you should invite people who are downcast and outcast and the, and the lame and the blind and the poor, and you should invite them to come in. Why? Because who sits around your table in life tells a lot about you. That's very true. You can tell me all day long you love people, but who I see you hanging with, who I see you investing time with, who other people, that says a whole lot. A church can stand on the street corner and say, you're welcome, we love to have you. But how people come into that church and why they come into that church and how that church deals with people says a whole lot about whether they really accept people. I mean, I was raised in church all my life. And I remember hearing statements like this. We'd really like to have a nice black family. What does that mean? Can I tell you what it means? That person that made that statement was a prejudiced bigot. Who I wouldn't want to stand in their, in, in their shoes before God on the day of judgment. Because the Bible says if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God in heaven whom you haven't? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm telling you, it's the truth because we say that all the time. We, I remember hearing statements like, you know, those people. What do you mean by those people? And again, I'm not one of these guys that, if you know me very well, I'm not probably the most politically correct person in the world. But, 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 but they make these statements like those people, you know, they come to church and, and they don't really smell the best. And they don't really shower and uh, you know, they're from the other side of the tracks. So why don't we build a church for them in their neighborhood? 
I heard it. And I'm going, are you stinking serious? That's really coming out of your mouth? But see, that was happening in the first century. These religious leaders were so close to God and so full of God and so full of... They basically wanted, therefore, no more. It didn't matter what was out. They wanted to do their thing, their righteous way of doing things. And they didn't care. And we find that Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom is not about the found. It's about the lost. It's not about the well. It's about the poor and the sick and the lame. It's not about you. It's about people that have yet to come and sit at the table. That was last week. Aren't you glad we're moving on? All right. It gets better than that. So let's pick up in verse 15 where the first response of the night. I mean, they're basically now, they're, they're, they're to like the, the creme brulee part of the, of the evening. And, and one guy pipes up and he says this, starting in verse 15. When one of those at the table had heard this, all that I just said, he said to Jesus, blessed is a man who will eat of the feast and the kingdom of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Not the smartest guy in the world. Verse 19, another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Again, not the sharpest tool in the shed. Verse 20, still another said, I just got married, and I can't come. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. And when the owner of the house became very angry and ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets and to the town, and to bring in the poor, and the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, I have done what you have been ordered, but there is still room. Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, and make them come in, so that my house will be full. And I tell you that not one of those who were invited, that's referring to verse 16 and 17, will, ever, will get a taste of my banquet. Now before we hit the notes, let's just kind of motor through this passage. First of all, we see in verse 15, it's the very first response to the evening. And the guy makes this statement in a very deep theological sounding voice. Blessed is a man who will eat in the feast and the kingdom of heaven. Amen. That was a religious attempt at diverting the conversation. It was a phrase like we would use. Well, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Amen. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Oh, what singing. Oh, what shouting. On that happy morning. Amen. God bless you, brother. And if you're not that religious and you live in the real world, you may say something like, well, how about them Packers? I mean, you try to change the subject, right? You've ever been at a dinner party when things are a little, little tense and people are getting a little hot and things, eh, blood pressure is rising? You just try to make a statement that would change things. That's what this guy's doing. It's a feeble religious attempt at trying to do that. We do that in church all the time. I won't even go there. That's, that's too good. I'll unpack that in another day. But we do it. And what does Jesus do? The Bible says in verse 16, he doesn't even acknowledge the guy. He doesn't even, he doesn't even say, well, that's a good thought. Or, yes, you know, now that you said that, can I tell you what's happening between verse 15 and verse 16? Jesus is looking at him like, are you stinking serious? You poor idiot. Do you really? What? Yeah, I think he's looking at him like, well, God can fix a lot of things, but he can't fix stupid. And I, I just think he looks at him. And you go, well, I just don't know if he would do that. These are the same guys. He's going he's gonna to read their mail in front of everybody. These are the same guys he called vipers and snakes, the same guys he called whitewashed caskets full of dead men's bones. Listen, there was no love loss in these two groups. 
Because Jesus was, Jesus knew exactly. This guy was trying to divert the subject. He was trying to divert it. And Jesus is there. They've invited him there. The creme brulee is not finished yet. The coffee is just starting to be poured. And he's going to ride this meal out for everything it's worth because he doesn't want those guys to stand on judgment before God and say, nobody gave me an account. He's about to just lay it all out in the open. So verse 16, he begins with this parable. Now, a parable is basically a story with meaning, and Jesus uses this all the time. It's a, it's a mean or a modicum in which he speaks to, to people. And, uh, and parables are kind of like diamonds. They're multifaceted, so there's more than one way to look at it. Uh, but I'm going to try to stay pretty close to the text, but there is a certain amount of leniency that you can't have in interpretation with this. But he, he says this in verse 16. He says that in verse 17 that there was a certain man. Now, that certain man represents, who is the host represents God. And he says this certain man is going to prepare this, this mega feast and the guests have been invited. Now, let me just download something right here for you. Just in case you're all too seriously sanctimonious. Bless God. Glory to his name. All you skinny people out there, I'm worried about you. Because the Bible talks. Hey, man, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. I got a clock right here. It's 1146. And I had the same bell that goes off in my head that you do. Ding! Dinner's done. It's 12 o'clock, baby. Let's get some pot roast and some potatoes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The Bible talks about eating all the time. Have you figured that out? One of my top ten lists, the reason why I want to go to heaven, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Bible says that when the church is raptured, I'm not really worried about the rapture. Everybody's all, well, when will the church be ruptured? I don't care. I want to know when the buffet starts. The marriage supper of the Lamb. It is seven. Some of you are going, he's lost his mind. No, seriously. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It begins when the rapture of the church takes place, and for seven years we eat. Won't it be wonderful there? You can sing all the worship you want to do. I will be at the buffet line. So he says that God, the host, has this mega feast. And again, Jesus is talking about dinner because that's the context in which he's at. The other thing I want you to catch, too, is that he's putting God in a good light. See, because again, these guys view God as some cosmic killjoy that just wants to slaughter humanity. And that God only has room for perfect people. When Jesus says, no, 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 you guys don't get it. You don't get it. You're really dumb as rocks. The reality is, is that God is his loving host. That's good. That wants to spread this table and wants to invite anyone and everyone. So he gives this image of God that, again, these guys didn't have. But again, he understood grace. And, and, and he says that he's a invited guest. Now, what you have to understand that the text doesn't tell us, but we know by scholarship that here's the way it worked in the first century. They didn't have email and text messaging and uh, e-invites and even snail mail. What would happen is when a host would want to throw a party, he would send his servant out weeks in advance and say, hey, on this date, we're going to be having a dinner party, and so-and-so would like for you to come. Would you be available? And they would check their Blackberries and, and their daytimers, and then they would say, yes, we can fit that in our schedule. Great, I'll put you on the RSVP list. And then right before they were going to serve the dinner, kind of like the ringing of the dinner bell, the master would send his servant out one more time to say, hey, dinner's ready. And at 6 o'clock tonight, remember, it's a reminder. So when you see these guys in verses 18, 19, and 20 giving these excuses, you have to understand this isn't the first time. These guys have already RSVP'd. They're coming. And now they're simply sending this 
precursor uh, uh, type of a, of, a, of a reminder that, hey, it's, it's time to eat. And then these guys have the sorriest excuses known to men. Who would buy property that they've not seen? Who would buy work equipment that they've not already tested? But yet, these are the excuses that they give. And so, you see these excuses, and basically they're a no-show. And this first group represents Israel. It, it represents the religious crowd. It represents the perfect chosen people of God. It represents those guys that are sitting at the table. But yet they're clueless. And they've got all their excuses and all their reasons why. So what does the, what does the master do? He says, okay, let's go to round two. Let's now invite the rejected. This is the low class of Israel. These are people that were believers in God, but were not welcomed by the establishment. Why? Because they were imperfect. They're, they had physical limitations. They were poor. They were lame. They were um, blind. Uh, they were hurting. Now, here's what you have to understand what happened in the first century and what was kind of contextual. As you read the, the law in the Old Testament, you find out that when God says, when you're going to bring a sacrifice to me and honor to me, do not bring any animal or any sacrifice that has any blemish or any issues. Bring to me only the perfect lambs or the perfect bulls or the perfect goats or the perfect birds. Whatever, you, whatever the offering calls for, I want something without spot and without blemish. So they would bring that to God. And God would not recognize an offering that wasn't the best that you had. It wasn't, it, God gave his best. He wants us to give our best. And so that was the way that it worked in the Old Testament. Well, these guys, these religious leaders, would begin to, to take this and now overlay that same thought and overlay it over people. And say, well, if God doesn't want imperfect offerings, then he has no time for imperfect people. So if you're not to a certain social standing, you really can't come into our church. And if, if you don't have, uh, if you have a physical uh, uh, limitation or, or handicap, you're not welcome here. Because we want to be a church that's pure and perfect for when God, for, for when the Messiah comes back. Now, I know we look at that and go, how crazy is that? But that's what they thought. So what was happening was these people, these poor and lame and broken people were all throughout the city. And they were all Jewish believers. And they, and they would bring their sacrifices. It's funny. They would take their offering and they would take their sacrifices. That's another message for another day. But they would not allow them to come into the temple and to worship. That's why you see so many miracles happening at the temple gates because they were not allowed to come in because of their own imperfections. Again, it was another man-made rule that they were taking something and, and bringing it in. So Jesus, so, so, so the host says, let's bring those people in. Let's bring the imperfect people in. Let's bring the people that, that nobody else wants. Let's bring the low class in. Let's bring the down and out. I've already invited the up and over. Now let's bring the down and out. And verse 22 there's a phrase that, that, again, it has great significance. When the, when the servant comes back, he says, but there's still room. He's saying, look, we, everything's pretty much full, but there's still some empty chairs. There's still some empty seats. If you look around this room today, you'll see a few empty chairs here and there. And, and the question, if you're a Christ follower, if Life Church is your home church, does that bother you? Because can I tell you, it bothers God. God's the host. And he's invited the perfect, and he's invited the imperfect. And yet there's still room. The desire in the heart of God, don't, don't get mad at me, don't email me. This is right here and there, and you find it all throughout Scripture. But the heart of God is that everyone hears the gospel message. The Bible says when the gospel is preached throughout the world, when everyone has a witness, then the end, end of time shall come. We're not waiting on the apocalypse. We're not waiting on the Antichrist. We're not waiting on some weird sci-fi fantasy script, uh, creature to, to appear. 
the bottom line is, when the gospel of Jesus Christ has been presented to all the world, then the end of the world shall come. Then, then basically, then, then, then heaven will, 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 will come and the church will be raptured and we'll be okay. And what I'm saying by that is, is that we have a philosophy, well, there's a few extra seats. It bugs God because there's still room. And as long as there's room, God says, let's open the doors and invite them to come in. So what does the host say? Okay, you've invited the perfect and the chosen. You've invited the imperfect and the outcast. Let's go beyond the gates of the city, verse 23 and verse 24. Let's go beyond the gates of the city and let's invite those people that are, on, that are in the country lanes and that are outside the city. The hicks and the sticks, okay? Let's invite them to come in. Who's he talking about? I'll tell you who he's talking about. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about people outside the Jewish believers, outside the people of God. Because the gospel, and we realize this in the book of Galatians, that we as Gentile believers have been grafted into the vine with Jewish believers, that we're all under the same promise, that we're all under the same blessing, that we're all part of the, of the family of God. But you have to understand in the context of the first century, Jewish men put Gentiles up next to dogs. There was no compassion, or love for them whatsoever. But yet, this host goes beyond the city. So Jesus is saying this, and these guys understand this, and are going, and they're inviting them to come in. Why? The verse 23 says, so that my house will be full. I've grown up in church all my life, and I've heard preachers give sorry excuses about why churches don't grow, and why churches are dying, and why they're decaying. I'm telling you, that's not God's plan, and that's not God's heart. You can get mad at me, but take it up with the text. All throughout Scripture, so that everyone knows. God's the one that brings the increase. God's the one that grows. This thing is supposed to work. Why? Because God is an organic, living, breathing God, and His Word will never return back void. It will always bring return. It will always profit in your life, whether personally or corporately. And so the heart of God is that the church is full. So don't think that, well, you know, I think this guy's really pushing growth. <laughs> It wasn't my idea. I wish I was that smart. It's God's idea so that the house is full. Now, what does this mean to us? What's the context to us today? Well, there's two statements I want to make in your notes. One is that a chair's value comes from the person that's seated, not from the chair. A chair's value comes from the person that's seated in the chair, not the chair. Can I tell you, God doesn't give a flying rip about buildings and property and all the things that you and I get all upset about. He really doesn't care about the color of the carpet. He really doesn't care if we have intelligent lights or unintelligent lights. He really doesn't care about the seats. He doesn't care about the steeples and the stained glass. He doesn't care about how many acres that we own. and what. Those are just tools. The chairs that we're sitting in, they're just tools. This building's just a tool. The property's just a tool. It's, just, it's in a way to be able to touch more people's lives and minister to them. See, it's, it's, when, when, when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel, the Great Commission, he told us to go, but he never told us how. Because methodologies, as long as they're not immoral, illegal, or sinful, God's cool with. The people that have hang-ups are us. The religious crowd, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, don't agree with it. I don't care, but God's not talking about that. His heart is, is that, we, that we reach what? The contents of the chair, the people. The most important thing in the church is not building. Please understand that. The most important thing in the church is not me, the pastor. The most important thing in the church isn't our programs or isn't our property or the offering, contrary to popular opinion. The most important, thank you for that, the most important thing in the church is you.
God didn't die for church buildings. God didn't die for, 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 for steeples and stained glass. God didn't die for our programs. He died for people because he loves people. Look, if the carpet wears out, we'll buy new. If the chairs fall apart, we'll buy more. If they're not comfortable, throw them out and get something that's comfortable. There's no need, there's no, no pain, no gain, not in church. God cares about you. And that's the next statement. Chairs represent people. That's why I'm talking about this. I'm not talking about chairs. I don't care about chairs. Ikea chairs, room and board chairs, crate and barrel chairs, Steinhoffel chairs. Who cares? We're talking about people. So I want to land this plane today talking about these four chairs that are on this platform. Now, if you've been at Life Church for a while, you probably heard me do a message called The Table. And uh, so some of this is coming from that. Um, but the staff told me I could no longer preach my table message that I love. So I brought it back known as the chairs. <laughs> we'll see who's laughing now. All right. Because this is good. There's just some illustrations that you go, that works. People get it. A healthy church is built in thirds. And there are three types of people that sit in these seats. And I'm taking this parable and taking another facet, another view of this. But there are four, there are four chairs here, and there are, are basically three people, three types of people that attend Life Church. But the person that sits in this chair is the host. It's the pastor. Not because he's great and good, but just because this is the way God created it. That as a, as a pastor, I am God's spokesperson. I am the person that sits in this chair. They're here to serve the seeker and build the believer. They're here to get alone, hear from God, preach God's word hot and fresh so that, and, serve up, and, and, and serve up the bread of life, uh, John 6.35, serve it up hot and fresh so that people hear the gospel message and lives are changed. The most important thing I do is not show up at the hospital. The most important thing I do isn't shake your hand. The most important thing I do isn't cut my hair or put on socks. The most important thing that I do, because I don't do that all summer, the most important thing that I do is that I get alone and I hear from God. And I say, God, what are you saying to this faith community? God, what do you want to do here? God, what's your word? Because really, who cares what I think? Have you ever been to church where the preacher got up and all he talked about, well, I believe and I think and whoa, whoa. Who cares? Really? You ever been to church where church is boring? No. Never. Yeah. And the problem is the preacher gets mad at the people. But it's not the people, it's the preacher. He's boring. He's going to do something else with his life. Because he, he doesn't have a call. There's nothing fresh. There's nothing vibrant. The, most, the greatest thing I can do for you is not be your BFF or play golf with you or go to your dinner party. The greatest thing I can do, not that I don't dislike doing that stuff. The greatest thing I can do is your pastor. He's to hear from God. And as Isaiah would say, to walk humbly, love mercy, and do justly in the sight of God. Because I give an account, not for the number of hospital visits that I make, or not for how big the church gets, or not for how many acres I acquiesce for the church. I give an account to God for what I do right here and now when I preach the word. Greatest thing I can do for you. The greatest advice I can give you. So, you got to have a pastor that hears from God. And it does that. And if he doesn't, the church isn't growing. 
If he doesn't, the church isn't moving forward. If he doesn't, there's no fire on the, on the altar that Leviticus talks about that forever burns. So, then there's three groups of people in every church that's, health, that's a healthy church. Now, we have a lot of unhealthy churches, but if you've got a healthy church, there's three groups of people. This first group is what I call the mature Christ followers. Again, these aren't fancy names, but they kind of get it. The people that sit here, look, they, they bring the tithe every week. I don't have to somehow get them to give, you know, and tell them some sob story or something. They just get it. It's the word, and they do it. The people that sit in this chair, they're in God's word for themselves. They know how to feed themselves. They don't cry and go, well, I'm just not getting fed. The only thing that needs to be fed is a baby. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Let's rewind that one. The only thing that needs to be fed is a baby. I hear people going, well, I'm not being fed. Listen, if you're new to Life Church, don't come to me and say, well, the church I came from, I wasn't being fed. Then don't come here because I ain't feeding you. I didn't bring you to raise. Lord, help. I don't have that kind of time and money. Go somewhere else. That's just harsh. No, that's reality. I'm just telling you right up front. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Go somewhere else. Okay. <laughs> the person that sits in this chair, they're involved in ministry. I don't have to prime them. The person that sits in this chair, they're involved in a life group. They're either leading or they're involved in one. See, because they get it. Because the people that sit in this chair realize that church doesn't exist for them. The people sitting in this chair, they realize that they're there to link arms with the pastor, and they're here to love people. They're here to serve humanity. They're here to do the work of the gospel, and they realize it's bigger than them. And they also realize that when they link arms with the pastor and they serve, that God will be the one that will serve them. And I'm telling you, people go, well, tell me what's the secret behind Life Church? It's not the lights. It's not the graphics. It's not me. It's the people that sit in this chair. I'm serious. If I'm lying, I'm dying. It's the people that sit in this chair. It's the people in this chair that go, I don't have to have church to fit my needs. I don't have to have church to be it my way. I don't have to like everything that we do as far from a, a taste perspective. Because I get where we're going. I get the heart of the church. I understand why the church is here. I understand that I, like Jesus, am here to seek and save that which is lost. And that he, and that I was once lost but now I'm found. I was what's blind, but now I see. I've had that amazing grace flow through my life, and now I just want to be a conduit of God's grace to someone else. That's all I need. And if you sit in this chair, let me tell you right from the very beginning, thank you. Thank you. I pray for you. I thank God for you. We are able to do what we do because of you. Thanks. The next group of people, so a third of the church is this. And see, you've been, you've been brought up to think, well, everybody should be this. No, that's unhealthy. Because if everybody's mature Christ followers, then who are you reaching? You're inbred, and there's something wrong with inbred. <laughs> there's something wrong with things that don't reproduce. I'm just telling you. you take it however you want to, but I'm just telling you. Because we're created to reproduce in the kingdom of God. So that brings you to the next chair. It's new Christ followers. These people are either brand new in their faith in Christ or they're brand new to this faith community. And they're in the green chair because they're green like spring, baby. I mean, they're just new. And I love the people that sit in this chair because they don't know better. <laughs> they're refreshing to me. 
They don't know where every book in the Bible is. They don't know everything, things that are wrong. They don't know certain protocol. They don't know. You don't say that. They're funny. They're refreshing because they remind us from where we've come. And you know what? You, the people that sit in this chair, you keep this church fresh. You keep this church young. It's like a new babe. You keep this thing exciting. So can I say something to you? It's okay. Make mistakes. It's okay. You're going to fall a couple of times. It's okay. Because struggle produces strength. But we love you. And we're not laughing at you, but laughing with you. And it's great because these are the people that go. In the book of Malachi, it's actually called Malachi. They make it sound like a chai tea from Starbucks. And they just don't know. And guess what? We don't all know. We fake it till we make it. You know what I mean? We don't know. And so the deal is, is that this keeps the church fresh. And if you're sitting in this chair, whether you're either brand new to this faith community and how we do things, and you're a Christ follower, maybe you were in a mature chair at the other church, but you're just kind of new to here, it's okay. The church is growing at such a rate that within six months, you'll be part of the old crowd. That's a good thing about a growing church. You, you assimilate very quickly. People that go, I just don't have any friends at Life Church. Something's wrong, and it's not us. Anyhow, um, because it just the assimilation rate at this church of people kind of getting in and getting connected, there's too many avenues, ministry and life groups. You want to get to know people? Be involved in a life group and in a ministry. If you don't like the ministry you're in, find another ministry. We're okay with that. Uh, if you don't like the life group you're in, find another life group. But get connected. New. New to the faith community. So a healthy church has a third of their people in this mature chair, a third of their people in this chair. And, and another, the last third, and I think this is probably the most important of, of, of everybody that makes up the church. And again, I didn't come up with this term, but this is a term that the Bible uses, so I'm going to use it. The sinner. The person who's spiritually lost. The person who God's word says, go this way and you go that way. Whether you're, you're, you're sinning out of ignorance or whether you're sinning out of rebellion, whether you know about God and you're running away from him, or whether you've never been told, you sit in this seat. I want to talk to you for a minute. Because you're the, you're the um, or maybe, not everybody, um, you might be a cocaine-snorting, skirt-chasing, half-lit, woke up in somebody else's bed that wasn't your, wasn't your spouse this morning, just kind of, you'd like me to talk a little softer because you still got a buzz and a hangover from last night, and you're at church. Welcome. You're welcome here. We love you, period. You are welcome to sit in that seat any day you want to, period. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to preach hellfire and brimstone down on you. I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I'm not going to laugh and make fun of you and embarrass you. I welcome you. And if you need to sit in this chair for a while before you make a decision to follow Christ, do what you need to do. It's between you and God. You're not a rock'em, sock'em robot, and I'm not God. Now, I, I, I want you to understand, I'm not going to pull back because of you, but I don't do that for any one of the people in this chair. Because you really don't care what I think, we care what the Word thinks. And so the Bible says that there are things called sin that's wrong. And, and whether it's culturally correct or not, it's sin. Homosexuality is a sin. I didn't write it. I didn't come up with it. It wasn't my idea. But God's word says that because of the perversion of man, there are things like perverted immoralities that come into the hearts and lives of men and women, and hearts are turned inward and towards themselves, and it sets things that are as vile as homosexuality. And if you sit in that seat, you're still welcome here. 
Whoa, 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 but you just said it was wrong. Yeah, but the Bible says that Christ died for you and for me when we were still in our sins. That's when Christ loved us. It's by grace, unmerited favor of God, that all of us have been saved, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any one of us should boast. We can do nothing in and of ourselves to earn our salvation. And every person that sits in this chair, this chair, or that chair has always started out in this chair. We're just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. But I'm not going to water down the gospel. I'm not going to pull back. I'm not going to, you know, if you're shacking up with someone, you're living with someone who's not, you're not married to. It's sin. If you're involved in sexual immorality, whether it's oral sex or it's, or, or it's full-blown intercourse, it's sin if you're not married to that person. I'm not going to back up, pull back, whatever. Because that's what the Bible says. You go, well, I just don't know. Listen, the world that we live in is full frontal, full-blown coming right at you. God's word does the exact same thing. We just need men and women of God that will stand up, call it for what it is, and say that what's right is right and what's wrong is what's wrong. But we can do that without shooting at the person in this seat. We can do that by still loving at the person in this seat. And we will do that. See, I grew up in church where you had to believe first, then you had to behave, which means you had to cut your hair and throw out your CDs. It was your tapes back then. And then you, and then you could belong that we would decide whether or not you could belong in the church. That's not biblical. The Bible says that we are all children of God. That doesn't mean all roads lead to God. No, the Bible says it's very clear that there's one road that leads to God. And it's a narrow way, and few that find it. But there is a way, and His name is Jesus. It's not my idea. It's not my doctrine. It's not this church's. We conjured up this idea. It's the Bible. And he says that if you accept Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess him with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that you will be saved, period. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to be recognized by the church. You don't have to, to, to do so many uh, this or that, period. You are saved. But I want to say something. You are welcome because you walk in the door and you belong. Why? Because you're a person that Christ died for. And you, those of you that sit in this seat, you're why we're all here. You're why we have a church. Because this, no, it's got to be this. That's the reason why over 220 adults since the beginning of the year have given their life to Christ. Because, because it's a church that says, hey, you're welcome to come and sit in this seat. We want you to come and sit in this seat. We're okay. We're okay until you make a decision that you want to accept Christ or you want to reject Christ. You can do that. But once you do, then you move to this green chair and you begin to grow. And then at some point, you become this mature Christ follower that links arms and we, and we reach this world together for Christ. So my question at the end of the day, oh, but, 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 oh, one more thing before we jet um, and we end everything up. There are no other seats. There's no I chair or high chair. There's no I don't like the music seat. There's no I don't like the preaching seat. There's no like it's too long, it's too short, it's too this, it's too that. Look, as I said in the video, this isn't pick and save. There's no other seats up here. What seat are you sitting in? If you want to sit in this chair, the keys are in the back room. I will get them for you and be happy to. Not that I don't love pastoring, but I'm just telling you. Take it. Go with it. We'll do another church somewhere else and just keep winning people for Jesus. This isn't my church. This isn't mine and Tammy's church. This isn't the Aaron Cole show. It's a lot of jokes with that. We're going to move right on. <laughs> or are you in the mature seat?
Are you in the new seat? Are you in this in the center seat? You've all been invited to the feast. The question is, are you coming? Because there's room for you. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me today?